You can be seated. And as you are, uh, it is my distinct privilege in this moment to introduce our, I don't even think it's right to call him a guest preacher. It's, it is my distinct privilege to introduce the preacher for today, someone who uh, I know will be very familiar to many of you. Uh, we're going to be blessed with a sermon this morning from Pastor Paul Shepard. Uh, certainly nobody has preached more sermons in this pulpit than Pastor Paul in the 18 years that this church has been in this building. He led ALCF as its lead pastor. He and his wife, Meredith Shepherd, did this body for 20 years. And his legacy and impact are still felt in our church today. I am getting to know Pastor Paul, and he has been incredibly kind, gracious, and encouraging to me, and it means more than he probably knows. And so, uh, would you join me in welcoming Pastor Paul Shepard? Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. Praise God. Good to be in this pulpit once again. And uh, thank you so very much. It's a privilege and an honor. Thank you so much for the uh, honor of being here. Um, I know these are the days of wrapping up um, this as the house of worship, but wherever you go, God will go with you, and that will be a house of worship, and God's glory will be seen and felt there. Well, good to see you all I know, and um, any of you I don't know, it's an honor to, uh, to meet you, and I give honor to all of you. We worship the Lord, and I honor all to whom it is due, and um, I'm so grateful for the chance to, uh, to share a word here. So... Uh, I asked Gary, is there a countdown clock? He said no. So I, I, have, I have learned, um, I preach um, all over the country in various places in the world, and I've learned um, that taking your countdown with you is an important ingredient <laughs> in being a world-class preacher. Um, I, I teach pastors' conferences and what have you, and I tell them I instantly today, in this session, I'm going to help all of you become better preachers, and they get real excited. And I say, get an alarm, get, get a countdown clock. Uh, because if the people know that you are going to let them go home when you said you were going to let them go home, you will be a better preacher. And preachers just have to learn to be a little bit like Pharaoh and let God's people go sometimes. So... Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to do. I, I looked at the run sheet. I didn't even ask because Gary would have probably, probably been gracious enough to say, preach as long as you want. He doesn't know that. So um, I looked at the run sheet and I saw I had 35 minutes. So that's what it's set for. And I'm about to hit it in just a moment. Before I do, though, let me just um, thank all of you for your love and your hospitality and the smiles. Even as I walked in, I feel right at home. And so I'm so grateful for this opportunity. All right, bam, it's starting. Acts 18, I'll read verses 9 through 11. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you. 
because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. In the mid-80s, I was the associate pastor of my home church in Philadelphia. My dad was my senior pastor, my spiritual and biological dad, and um, got saved under his ministry, called to, to preach under his ministry, learned so much of what I know through his ministry and the ministries he connected me with. And in those years, I was his full-time associate pastor. And during those years, the Lord made it clear that I was to help him succeed in what he had called him to do. And I learned in those years, you can't operate until you cooperate. And so I learned how to cooperate with my dad and, and uh, fulfill the vision that was in his heart. And during that time, a vision was growing in my own life. And I came to know in the mid-80s that eventually the Lord's going to send me away from my dad. I told him as much. I said, I don't know when or where, Pop, but I won't be here. But I'm going to fulfill the obligation I have to help you as long as the Lord will allow me to do that. And, um, and sure enough, in 88... I um, received a call from the East Palo Alto Church of God asking would I be interested in being a candidate for their pulpit. And I knew in that time the Lord was saying he was beginning to push me out. Um, I was getting those nudges. And I said, okay, I, I, my days are, are limited here. My wife and I started praying in 88. Okay, Lord, where do you want us to go? During that time, East Palo Alto Church of God called and said, would I asked would I be a candidate? And I didn't want to go to an existing church because by then the vision was pretty clear. I knew that it would be a church that the Lord was going to honor a prayer I prayed for years. I wanted to be a soul winner and a discipler. And um, I said, I just don't want to do church as usual. I'm, I'm a church kid. I grew up a pew baby. And church is cool, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to reach unchurched people, and I wanted to disciple people. So the Lord had shown me, I'm going to let you do that. And, um, and so I said, but Lord, this vision, the vision, the, the word I got was the Lord was going to use me to reach and disciple thousands. And I thought, well, um, then that doesn't sound like any church I'm from personally familiar with. And, um, and I know church folk real good. Thousands mean they're going to get displaced from their jobs and stuff like that and the things they're used to doing. And I said, I can't imagine an existing church that would buy such a vision. So I assumed I shouldn't uh, answer, I shouldn't say, yes, I'll, I'll be a candidate. So I, but I made a mistake and said, I'll pray about it. Um, <laughs> And of course, when you say you're going to pray about it, then you actually got to do it. And so that's what I did. I prayed. And, I, and the prayer was kind of like, Lord, you know, both of us know I'm not supposed to go there. So as soon as you make it plain to them, I'll, I'll you know, tell them, hey, the Lord said no. But um, he never said that. And next thing I know, I'm on a plane coming to Northern California. I met with them and uh, this pulpit committee. And... I, be, I said, well, I, what I'll do is share with them this vision that God has given me. I'm leaving my associate pastorate, and I'm going to be uh, taking a senior pastorate even if I plant a church. 
And I said, I wanted to show them everything I saw that the Lord said thousands. That was the word. I didn't know what that meant, just thousands. And that I would be a discipler and soul winner and I would reach a lot of unchurched people. So I shared all of that. I said, so all these people are going to come. And, um, and, and so I was trying to scare them, you know. And, and so the, hap- the more I talked, the happier they got. And they said, this is exactly what we want to see God do. And I said, oh, great. (laughs) Now I got to go to an existing church and deal with that. And this passage I just read is one of the passages the Lord used to confirm to me that I was to come to Northern California. He said, I have many, many people in Northern California. And and so I said, well, I'll, I'll be a candidate. And... So, you know, they went through some changes. That was the summer of 88. They went through some changes, had a little church split. You know, it was a small church to begin with, and that split. You know, that's bad when a little church splits. And, um, and, but that's what happened. And bottom line, they called me in January of 89 and said, okay, we're ready to call you. Now, the bad news is we started with 60-some people uh, when they asked me to be the candidate and now there are 34 people, they said. And, um, and, and so I said, well, the Lord said to come. I said, but I need to meet with the 34 people. Met with them uh, Friday night in January of 89 and shared with them everything I could see. And I said, I want to make sure this is okay with you all. Because if you don't like what I'm about to say, and I know this is God working in my heart, Thousands, for instance, I say, I know it's not my ego. Um, it is a word from the Lord. Sometimes God gives you a magnanimous word and, you know, a carnal person will say, oh, that's just your ego. No, no. Just like Joseph, one day the Lord told him, even your, bounds, your, your family's going to be bowing down to you. That wasn't his ego. That was the Lord. And, and he had to say, okay, yeah. And, and he made the mistake that a lot of us make. He told everybody. So, <laughs> oh, man, one of these days, all oh, y'all going to be bowing down to me. And, and so, you know, his brother said, yeah, right. And, and you, you know the rest of that story. But um, it was a word from the Lord. And I shared with those people, and they said what the pulpit committee said. If, the Lord, if this is the Lord, we'll be excited. We've been a little church our whole existence. They had never grown beyond, I think, at their height, they had grown to 120 people, something like that, under one of the pastors before me. And, um, and they had never done anything else. They had always been in East Palo Alto. This is pre-young folks, let's tell you all, this is pre-internet. This is when if you want to get to something, you better have uh, Thomas McNally, was it, map in your vehicle or something like that. And that's the way you got to places or you talk to somebody who knew what they were talking about. And so, and they owned a little building in East Palo Alto that you'd have had to be lost to find where it was. Um, But that's where we started out. And so I learned that that word God gave me, I have many people meant that there was a process of things you'd have to go through to fulfill the vision. So I'm going to spend these next 27 minutes sharing with you some principles I learned from this chapter, Acts 18, about how God operates. And I've entitled it, Let Vision Lead the Way. I came because vision brought me. And so I've learned about God, whether it's your personal life or your corporate life as a church, Vision is the key. 
It was vision that brought to pass what happened. And so if you get a word from God, whatever that word is, it may be a word unfamiliar to you, something that, um, that you had never heard before, never seen before. If it's a real word from God, you go through his process, you get his results. And I started talking about thousands in 1989 when there were 34 of us. I did that through six years at Cumberly Theater over on Middlefield Road in Palo Alto, 4000 Middlefield Road, not far from here. We spent six years in there. It was a theater that sat, as I recall, somewhere around 250 to 300 people. And um, we went in there, all 30-some of us, for our Sunday services. And here we are in this 300-seat theater, and there's 30-some of us. And I told them they would spread out. I said, no, get together, get together. Because it was discouraging to see all those empty seats. And I said, I, I, I want to see whoever's here at least kind of huddle up. And we got through that season. But I learned a lot of things. Let me share a few of them with you. Keys to discovering and, and pursuing God-given vision. And I hope this is a word not only for you corporately, that you'll find applications for you, but I hope that you will find individually how to bring to pass what God wants to do in your life. Here's the first key. Explore your passions. Explore your passions. What do I mean by that? Well, in the first few verses of Acts 18, why is Paul in Corinth? He's in Corinth because in Acts 13, God called him and Barnabas to go out and evangelize. And so they went out and began doing what God says, and he's still doing that. Now, at this point, he's in the second iteration of fulfilling the vision. What happened? Something went wrong. The first, in the middle, well, after the first part of it, they went home for a break, and the plan was to go back out, but they went home for a period of time. And when they got ready to go back out, Paul and Barnabas had a falling out. In church and in the kingdom and in life, stuff happens that wasn't God's will or his fault. Me leaving here wasn't God's will or his fault. But the fact of the matter is stuff happens in church. Stuff happens in the kingdom. Stuff happens in life. And what they did about what happened was very important. Paul kept his eye on the vision. Barnabas kept his eye on the vision. They disagreed with how to fulfill the rest of the vision because Barnabas said, I'm taking John Mark back out with me. Paul said he's not going with me because he ran home to his mama when it got thick the first time. I can't have any wimps with me, and so I'm going without him. And Barnabas said, I got to disciple this young man. He'll be valuable, but somebody's got to give him a second chance. And the Bible says the, the contention between them was sharp. Y'all got to stop thinking Christian love is grinning all the time. Sometimes you shake your finger in somebody's face and say, I don't like what you said or how you said it. And I resent you. And if you say it again, it's going to be a problem. That's still Christian. Y'all don't know. You got sloppy agape. You grinning all the time. Sometimes you got to get mad enough to stand your ground. And so they continued fulfilling the vision God gave both of them, but they had to do it in two different ways. There are now several churches where there was once one. 
stuff happens. But if the vision, if the vision li lives in the leaders of those churches, if the leadership hears from God, even if it looks different than it did in the, in the years we were in this building, so be it. Hear from God and do what he said. So you got to explore your passions. Personally, you got to explore your passions. Same thing. God wants to do something in your life and you've got to explore your passions. Let me just give you some, some scripture. Ephesians 2.10, some of you know this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's something God wants you to do. In, in your business, in your career, whatever it is, there are things God wants you to do. In your home, for your family, there are things that God specifically wants you to do. You were created to do good works, and he prepared in advance that you would do that. So you don't have to figure out, what should I do? No, God already knows. You need to ask him. And Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, the good man, that's not a, a gender specific uh, Greek word, the good person brings forth good things that are stored up in him and the evil man or person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So you and I are, are beginning a good work. God began a good work in us. And so now you just got to look in and say, what are the good works God has called me to do? And that's what ignites your passion. When you surrender and say yes to God, you get passionate about what he wants. Amen. And so um, it's important that you understand that the first key to uh, discovering and fulfilling your, pursuing your vision is to make sure that you explore those passions. The second thing is enlist partners. Not only explore your passions, but enlist partners. Look at verse two. Uh, three and five of Acts 18. A man uh, and he, Paul, met a man named Aquila, uh, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Look at verse five. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Notice that uh, God was going to fulfill something, but he started with giving him a passion, a calling. Here's what I want you to do, Paul. I want you to go out and evangelize. I'm going to go with you. And then he had to enlist partners. You too are going to need to enlist partners. Now, corporately, we've got partners. Everybody who says, I am part of the Abundant Life family, you are in partnership. It's not a financial partnership, but it is a heavenly partnership. If God calls you to be here, you're to be a partner with the leadership here. If God didn't call you to be here, sooner or later you're going to figure that out and go where he's supposed to be. But until then, you need to line up with the vision of the house because partners have to work together to fulfill the vision. And I want to let you know, you got to enlist partners. Some of you all think it's just you and Jesus. No, it's not. 
The only way I got to fulfill the vision God sent me here uh, to fulfill in 1989 was those 34 people had to say, yes, okay, please don't start another church. Because I told them, I said, hey, I can start a church as a, I'll take a, a regular job and I'll start a church as a Bible study because God's sending me to Northern California. And I told him that Friday night in January, I said, so do me a favor. If you're not feeling this, tell me tonight or by Sunday. I was going to preach that Sunday. By Sunday afternoon, y'all let me know, hey, we don't want thousands. We don't want what you were talking about. And so go on back to Philadelphia. In which case, I would have gone home, told my wife, okay, we're moving. I'm going to take a job and I'm going to start a Bible study. And we'd have done that. They said, please don't do that. Let us partner with you. That's exactly how I accepted the call. They bought the vision. When we moved in here, that was 1989. So when we moved in here, our first service here was August of 2004. 15 years after I showed up, we had gone from 34. At that point, August of 2004, we were a church of 2,500. God had done that in 15 years, and I knew there was more ahead. But we built this, and the first service, if any of you were here, you remember, I asked all the people who were in the 34 I came to, do me a favor, get out of your row, and come meet me up here. And those people left where they were sitting and came up here. Several of them, I have a list of them to this day in my phone. I could read off the names of those 34 people. A few of them are here right now. And, I ha and uh, those people stood up here and I said, I want you to see because of your saying yes to what God said, this is what he has done. And everybody celebrated. There were a couple of thousand people in each of the two services that day. And, uh, and they, they were amazed. I said, this is because of your partnership. This wasn't just my anointing. People love to think their anointing did everything. <laughs> anointing means nothing if you don't have help. And so you've got to find your partners in your life, in your life goals, as a business person, as a ministry, you've got to find your partners. Number three, you've got to exercise persistence. Exercise persistence. Look at verse 4. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Pause right there. That, that makes the point. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Just because God sent him out to reach the lost didn't mean it was going to be easy. Didn't mean, didn't mean it was going to be fun. Every Sabbath, it doesn't say occasionally when it wasn't raining. It doesn't say occasionally when the Holy Spirit told him to go to the synagogue. Some of y'all get spooky at the wrong times. Oh, the Spirit told me to go. Well, what when he's not talking? What are you supposed to do then? You're supposed to do what he put on your heart to do. Quit needing a word from God to do what you're just supposed to do. Every Sabbath, he got up, whether he felt like it or not, whether he had a headache, and he went and ministered. 
He didn't always have tangible results, visible results, but he went and ministered. Those first couple of years that uh, I was working with those 34 people, and I had been telling them from day one, thousands were coming. First year, we grew from 34 to 45. They had the nerve to be excited. They had a banquet for me. Some of, these, some of these folk who were there will tell you, they took me to a place down in Sunnyvale called the Bold Night. And we went down there and had an anniversary banquet for me, celebrating that we had grown by 11 people. I was so irritated. As I drove to that dinner, I had an attitude. I was like, what in the world are we going out here to celebrate? People stayed away in droves. I said, there's nothing to celebrate. Now I got to go out here and smile at these people and eat dry chicken. You got to understand, sometimes you just got to put in the hard work. Second year, we grew from, the, from um, by my second anniversary, we were up to about 70, 75. They thought we were really tearing things up then. But I'm comparing it to a vision. And I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You know what he said? Nothing. God can be more silent than anyone I've ever met. God, when God shuts up on you, you hear nothing. And I've learned over the years, when God doesn't give you a new word, it's because the first word is still active. Why is he going to keep talking to you? He said something already. He said, go to California. And I did. And he said, all right, you got to exercise persistence. And I preached those six years in Coverly Theater. I preached hard. Y'all who were there, y'all need to back me up. I preached good messages. Oh, man, there were some powerful messages in that theater. Powerful. God was moving. Thunder and lightning and earthquakes. I wanted to believe. And I would give the altar call, and it was a happy coincidence when somebody got saved. Anybody want to receive the Lord? Come on down. And I'm thinking, of course not. Let's stand. <laughs> Did that for years, for years. And there were Sundays when I, when I drove home with my wife saying, we must have missed it. She said, no, honey, we didn't miss it. I said, well, but where are these people that are supposed to be coming? And that went on year after year. Seven years later, we had gone from 34 to 250. That's great growth by regular church standards. The average church in America has less than 75 congregants. That's great growth, 250. But I was mad. I said, Lord said, staff, thousands. I'm breaking my neck trying to get 250. And you've got to be persistent. When you don't get a word, when you don't have any, anything spooky, none of my prophet friends had a word. You know, you got, I got some friends who exercise gifts of prophecy and whatever. I'd stand before them if they were ministering somewhere just hoping they were going to give me a word. They said, bless you. I said, yeah, I am blessed, but I need a word. You got to exercise persistence in your business. Your business isn't going to grow overnight. But if it's what the Lord wants you to do, you got to be persistent. You're not going to get promotions all the time on your job. Be persistent. Be faithful. 
and wait on the Lord. You've got to do what he says. He He didn't give you all this fluff. Just do what he says. Be persistent. Outlast your challenge. Outlast your confusion. Outlast your disillusionment. Go farther than the questions and you'll see what God is up to. Number four, verse six, expect persecution. Expect persecution. Collectively expect persecution. I think you've dealt with a little bit already. Expect more. Oh, I thought you had a word. I do. Expect more. Why? Verse six said, when they opposed Paul and became abusive. It happens. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean, anointed doesn't mean people going to like you. Sometimes the proof God is at work is that they hate you. Don't believe me, ask Nehemiah. All he wants to do is fulfill a vision that God put on his heart to build, rebuild a wall that's been torn down and burned with fire. And there's an an unstable city. He wants to correct this. God told him to do it. He got permission from a heathen king to take a long leave of absence from his job as the cupbearer of the king, which was an important job. And a, and a king that doesn't even know God gave him permission. That looks like God. So then, why when you're trying to do something good, do people who don't even live in the city you want to help show up from out of town and become abusive? It happens. You like, why don't y'all mind your business? That's not what haters do. They don't mind their business, they adopt yours. And their goal is to come against you, ridicule you, abuse you. If they can, they will attack and hurt you. If they don't hurt you physically, they'll try to hurt your reputation. It happens. You got to keep it going. When I went through my restoration after leaving here, went through a time of restoration that was so painful, I described people, it was like going through emotional chemotherapy. As, As the therapists and the leaders who oversaw my process just dug into every nook and cranny of my life, and, and it was so horribly painful, I thought, Lord, how am I even going to make it through this? When I came out of that and they laid hands on me and restored me and said, the Lord is not done with you yet, keep going, I had already gotten word that I could not return here for leadership. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm not being invited back there, so what am I supposed to do? And I'm hoping he's going to let me go somewhere. There were places, other places in the country that were hoping I would come move there. And I, but I had to check in with the guy. One pastor here in the Bay Area took me out to Starbucks to tell me to leave California. I don't, he, he said everything, but I don't want you here. You are too popular, you have too much influence, and now that we're back, they were kind of hoping I would never come back. But I talked to, I said, well, here's the problem, sir. You aren't the one who brought me here. 
said, so since you didn't bring me here, you can't send me away. I got to talk to the one who brought me here. Now, if he says, all right, I'm done with you, and I'm going to send you somewhere else, I'm, I'm out. My wife and I both wanted to be out. The Lord said, no, I'm not finished. And I said, well, abundant life is going in a different direction. What do you do now? He said, you start something else. And, and my team said, the restoration team said, well, whatever you do, uh, just be inconspicuous about how you do it. You don't want to put yourself in a position to be right, uh, uh, wrongly accused of splitting a church. And so I did not. Y'all didn't get a letter from me. I know because I didn't write it. <laughs> because I knew if it's a God thing, it can't be manipulative. So I had my own personal website and I said on there, I'm going to be starting a church. If you're interested in coming to the formative meeting, here's where it'll be. And if you didn't get, if you didn't see that and didn't get that letter, then you weren't invited. And God knows how to finish what he starts. Even when we do things that mess it up. Our God is not a God of perfection only. He's a God who knows who we are. He knew who we were when he called us. And so, persecution has come nonstop over the years. I've learned to keep moving. You're going to have to learn to do the same. In your business life, in your, in your professional life, you're going to learn to do this. Keep on moving past the persecution. We who are followers of Christ, there's going to be more persecution than ever now. And you got to learn to just be loving. Jesus was always loving, but Jesus never spoke lies to, to please people. So you have to be a truth teller and a lover at the same time. And a lot of church folk don't know how to do that. And, and that's, I don't, I don't even call, publicly, I don't call myself a Christian. I don't like the term because of what looks like Christianity to the world. I say, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm on plane sometimes. What do you do? I'm a follower of Christ. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Christians, whatever. Some of them are great. Some of them I want nothing to do with. I, I got to go to heaven because they're going to be there. If there was any way there would be a private section, <laughs> I'm signing up for that. But there is none. You know, the family of God is like a family. You pick your friends, you're stuck with your relatives. Just the way it is, you're stuck with your relatives. So, I told you, my, my family, 10 years of silence, four kids, all relatively close together within, what, six years, four of us were born to my parents, or uh, eight, probably seven or eight, four of us born in that period of time. Ten years of just those four kids growing up together. Ten years later, they sit us down at the dining room for an emergency meeting. And my mother lifted her head. She looked so dejected. She said, you're going to have another brother or sister. She looked so dejected, dejected at one end of the table. My dad's sitting up here looking proud. I thought, what is wrong with these old people? I thought they were old. I, as I speak to you, I'm 64. I now know they were not old. But then I thought these old people, my mother was 40. My dad was 46. 
man. I said, what's wrong with these old people? But you know what? It wasn't a voting meeting. It was an information-only meeting. Get ready. Somebody's coming. Kenny showed up. Mother said, here's your brother. Here, go do something. <laughs> that's the church. That's the family of God, and we're supposed to win them. You're not going to like everybody you win. They don't like you. So we learn to grow together and let God be glorified. Last thing, I'm done. You've got to embrace God's perspective. God said in the, in the text we read, he said to Paul, I know they're getting abusive. I know you kind of feel like cutting and running. He said, stay here. Because of what I'm doing in you, I'm not going to let them kill you here. I'm not going to let them harm you. Now, years down the road, he does lose his life for his faith. But God said about Corinth, no, stay here. I'm going to protect you. Why? Because I have many people. And he had to look at God's perspective. And for another 18 months, he stayed simply based on that word. Whatever God is saying to you about your personal life and about your ministry corporately, whatever God is saying, he has the grace and the power to bring that to pass. And you've got to stay locked in on that. And I had to keep saying, God's going to bring thousands when there were 250 of us seven years in. I was still saying it. By then, we moved into a warehouse at Willow Road and O'Brien Drive. And as we moved into the eighth year, we saw God begin to do it in the way I expected all along. In year eight, somebody started getting saved every Sunday. We went from one service to two in that little warehouse, from two to three in that little warehouse. We created an overflow where there was no overflow. Y'all remember that? There was a back room. There was a low-bearing wall we couldn't tear down. And people took, came to me one Sunday and said, um, there is a, there, there, the people in the back are asking for a speaker. I said, what people in the back? They said, oh, every Sunday there are people sitting in the back just hoping to hear. Because the 300 seats in the sanctuary were full. I said, what? I said, then put a speaker back there. Next thing you know, we built a, uh, an overflow. The city didn't give us permission. But they kept coming. I'm down to 20 seconds. Do I, can I get three more minutes? The city, what'd you say, Gary? I said you got all the time in the world. All right, that's five more minutes, all right. But I'm gonna let you go in five, I promise. One Sunday, when it was a full-blown 300 in the sanctuary, 300 in the overflow. By then, we had put a screen back there and speakers. People who wanted to be in the same room with me got there early enough to be one of the first 300. Everybody else was like, we're fine as long as we see and hear in the back room. The fire marshal showed up one Sunday. I promise that the, the Menlo Park fire marshal showed up one Sunday. I don't know if somebody has said, hey, they, there's some stuff going on there y'all need to check out. He came to me after service. 
He said, you know you're not supposed to have this many people in this building, right? I said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm well aware, but you see what's happening, the people are quite enthusiastic. <laughs> I promise you. He said, do these people know how to get out of here in the case of a fire? That's exactly what he asked me. I said, yes, sir. We've shown them where the exits are. Boom, boom, boom. He said, all right. And he turned around and walked out. He wasn't supposed to do that, according to the law. But he saw something. He like, if something's going on here, what he didn't know is it ended up happening four times every Sunday. He just came to one service. He didn't ask me, well, how many times are you doing this? Because before we came here, we were doing that 7.30, 9.30, 11.30. I'd go home, eat a little lunch, go to bed, wake up, come back at 5.30 in the afternoon, and another four or 500 folk. It's the way God did it. Took him longer than I wanted him to. And then we got here, then it really took off because people saw we had invested and, and we wanted them to be here. And you know the story from there, some of you. God will fulfill whatever vision he puts on your heart. I need you to know the God we serve isn't trying to do anything. When he makes a promise, that promise will come to pass. When he gives a vision, that vision will come to pass. Joseph's brothers said, this boy is crazy. But years later, they are starving. They come to Egypt looking for food and have no idea that the brother they thought they had sold into slavery and would never see again was now the second in command in a country he wasn't even a natural citizen of. And he's in charge of the food. The reason why you got to keep growing with the Lord is because God won't let you get into your personal vendettas. You know, if Joseph didn't, wasn't growing with the Lord, he could have easily been like, oh, well, 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 well. Looky, looky, who's hungry? When you're doing the work of God, you can't get in your flesh. God won't allow that. So when he left their presence, it wasn't to fume and to cuss, it was to cry. The emotions of all of those years came down on him. I get it. Been there a lot over the past 12 years. Lots of tears and emotions. But in the midst of that, you got to keep trained on, here's what I must do. I must please God moving forward. And if you do that, my brothers, my sisters, you'll see God's will come to pass. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that something I said today will resonate with your people, both about their corporate existence as they move forward and about their individual lives. You began a good work in all of us, and you will bring it to pass. For this, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
praise the Lord. Thank you for that word, that powerful word, Pastor Paul. Praise God. Let's give him another hand. Amen. Let's say, let the church say amen. 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 So when we get in, when we get in one accord with the Lord's, with what the Lord has said, what his will is, that's our answer, all right? Amen. That's what we're going to sing to close us out today. Praise God.
And that's what we're going to keep doing here at Abundant Life is letting vision lead the way. And the key, the key distinction there is letting God's vision lead the way. Because we got some visions of our own, but those aren't necessarily what God has for us. And so we're going to run hard after what God has for us here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. I love, loved Paul's last point, embrace perspective. Part of what draws so many people to this area is a vision to work for something greater than themselves in the technology industry or whatever industry it is here. But we have the privilege here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship of being part of something bigger than ourselves, as Paul reminded us of this morning. We stand in that stream of faithfulness that God has shown to ALCF, from East Palo Alto Church of God to Coberly to where else? Uh, O'Brien to Leghorn to the Jewish Community Center and wherever else God is going to take us in the future. mean this with all my heart. It is a joy to be on this journey with you all. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You're loved and you're prayed for and you're sent.